You know, it's crazy right now. It's kind of thinking about, you know, when you look at a lot of what's going on, anybody, you know, people spitting on the flag and burning the flag and a lot of people, you know, just, uh, you know, and I, I, I kind of trips me out because I remember years ago and just, I read a story and it was actually in the news for a little while and it just broke my heart was a bunch of, you know, just, you know, rebellious people were young guys in France. I don't know what all their ages were, but they were just went into the cemetery and, of the U.S. soldiers who died there to, to set them free from German occupation. You remember that, D-Day? And they just were kicking over and just, you know, slamming the, just destroying their grave sites, their headstones. And I thought, man, you are so ungrateful, man, because if it wasn't for the United States in that situation, you guys would be enslaved to Nazis, you know? And, uh, and just the hatred, I mean, just, it just blew me away. And I thought, that's absolutely heartbreaking because how much more does it hurt the Lord, right? When people who he set free, or died, I should say, to set free, right? Use his name as a curse word, blaspheme him, spit on him, and, you know, basically just hate Christ. It just blows me away. And if you're here today, you know, you, it's probably because you love Jesus, right? If you're listening, you're tuning in, you love the Lord, and you're, you're grateful for what he's done, amen? You're just praising, you praise him. Uh, unless you're just tuning in. I mean, sometimes people, one guy came here for years off and on, and he wouldn't get right with God, but he would come off and on, and then and, uh, he just, he wasn't a Christian, wasn't following Christ. And I asked him, hey, I go, why do you come here? He goes, well, because he came to me. He says, is it okay? I, I smoke pot before I come here. I go, what? He goes, because I find it intellectually stimulating, but he wasn't, didn't want to give him life, life to the Lord, you know? I said, well, you know, uh, no, you know, actually, if you're not going to follow Christ, you're just coming to be stimulated on some pot trip, you know? I mean, I, I could have played with it and made weird faces at him and stuff when he was stoned, but I remember I got paranoid when I was a kid when I spoke pot, you know? But I was tripping out on that, and I thought, you know, most people know the value. They know why they're here. They're here because they love Jesus, because they've been set free by his incredible grace. Amen? But at the same time, a lot of Christians don't, all of us, to one degree or another, don't appreciate what Christ has done for us as we ought. Because if we did, and I say all of us, myself included, because I believe if we really appreciate what he did to the degree that we should, he was forgiven much, loves much, we'd be perfect. And... We're not, we're not yet perfect. We haven't yet entered into, I mean, we're being perfected. The scriptures use that word teleos, which is the Greek word, teleos is the Greek word for uh, perfect, but it, when it's used of humans, it typically means maturity until we reach that final goal. We will be perfect in the Lord uh, at the second coming of Christ. But I don't think we appreciate the freedom that we have in Christ. And I want to talk about the freedom that we have, our spiritual, the name of this is Happy Spiritual Independence Day. Because I really, may the Lord challenge you today to really appreciate what he's done for you and setting you free and may it redound to, you know, worship and praise of his name and, and a lifestyle that glorifies him. Amen? That's how it ought to be. And praise the Lord. You know, so many of you are, are, are living lives that glorify him. But I love what the Lord says to the church at Thessalonica. I mean, it's one of the churches that you read about, and they are a very loving church, and they were commended in a lot of ways. They had some problems that he was 
Paul was dealing with in his letters, but he tells them to still abound more and more in their love. Amen? So I encourage you, let's abound more and more in our love, and let's check out our spiritual independence. Uh, when I think of our spiritual independence, which is way more important, by the way, than the national uh, independence that we have in Christ. Amen? I'm sorry, the national independence that we have in the United States of America. The independence we have through Christ, the liberty we have, being set free, transcends human independence in an infinite way because it's eternal. Amen? You know, most historians that study the Roman Empire, they believe that most of the most human beings, not just the Christians, but most people in the Roman Empire were slaves. Were slaves. But if you ask those slaves, that's over half the human race at the time in that empire, if they, the Christians, if, they'd, if they would trade their freedom to not be slaves physically anymore uh, with their spiritual independence, becoming enslaved to Satan and sin again, would they do it? Not any, not any wise Christian, amen? Because they recognize the freedom they had in Christ far supersede any temporal freedom because one day they'd be set free from that temporal freedom as well, amen? So I, I think we need to really appreciate it. And I, and I really, I've been moved to share this message with you just because uh, I have a lot of, I have some really, really hard times, as you do as well, with the direction this country is going in, Amen. And even at the inception of our country, there were deists and there were masons and occultists and so forth. There are also Christians, right, who wanted to inst in, you know, instill Christian values and so forth. But uh, you had a mixed bag when our country started. You, know? you have two extremes. One say, it was just all occultic. There were no real Christians having an influence on the country. No, that's not true. Others will say, oh, no, it was just, it was just purely this, this Christian nation and there were no occultists involved. Well, uh, no. Even George Washington himself was a Mason, you know, and, um, you know, would, you know, didn't, you know, he'd drop his wife out, off at church and he'd go to church sometimes, but then he'd leave before communion, you know, so, uh, and he helped set the cornerstone of a Masonic Lodge, you know, so our country has some really crazy beginnings, you know, our, our freedom and our salvation is not in our country, amen, it's in Christ, you know. And uh, one of our brothers sent me a picture of a flag. He's going to, uh, you know, have a, a prayer time and so forth. And the flag they're going to fly is a big flag with a cross on it. He said, hey, what do you think about that? And I thought, that's so cool, you know. That's what we want to think of ultimately. We want to be grateful, though, for my dad fought in World War II. He was in the Philippines ready to go to Japan as a paratrooper, which paratroopers being dropped in Japan, not a good deal. You don't usually make it back, you know. And... Uh, that's when the atom bomb, you know, the over Japan in uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And he didn't have to go give his life, but he was prepared to. He's a young man. Uh, he gave his life. That would have been awesome. You and I wouldn't be here today. Or I wouldn't be here today. Somehow maybe the Lord would still have used Steve to start the church sometime in the back. I don't know, you know, how that works. But uh, Lord's in control. But, uh, but I was grateful, you know, for his service and and the service of so many people that gave their lives, you know. And, but ultimately, who did give their lives for you and suffered in the worst way and did it in such a way that you could live forever? That's Jesus Christ. That's why we're here, amen? And that's why we, we celebrate as Christians Independence Day, Spiritual Independence Day. In a way, we celebrate it every day. Every, every day we thank the Lord for our salvation, amen? So that's a good thing. But I want you to go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, 
And we go to Luke 4. Jesus is underscoring his mission. And I think it's interesting here because in Luke chapter 4, Jesus had just been baptized. He'd just been attacked by the evil one, led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, be tempted by the devil. And he went through a succession of at least, you know, three aspects of temptation, three different temptations, and he got victory over the evil one. He came to reverse the curse. He came as a second Adam to set free those who had been bond in bondage because of the sin of the first Adam and, of course, their own sin. We're born into sin, but we're also sinners by choice. Amen? And it's just little kids who have not reached the age of accountability that aren't sinners by choice yet, and they're not held, they're not held accountable for their sin until they reach the age of accountability. That's why Paul said there was a time when he was alive spiritually, Romans chapter 7, I think, verse 11, and then when he became aware of what sin was and he sinned with knowledge, then he said he died spiritually. And he then talks about this war between his flesh and the law, which he was doomed. And who will set me free, he says, from this body of, of sin and death. And they says, thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So Jesus set him free. And we've been set free. But Jesus, after his baptism, uh, you know, he went out and was tempted by the devil as a second Adam, not in a garden like Adam and Eve, but in the wilderness, right? They had all the advantages. They had all this food and fruit and everything. Man, they could partake of any fruit they wanted, but pff, the tree from the knowledge of good and evil. But guess what? He'd been fasting for 40 days, right? Satan's so like, turn these stones into bread. He's like, man shall not live by bread alone, Jesus said, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he withstood all these, these temptations. And then guess what? He came back into the public. He was ready to do his ministry. Ready to start his ministry. And it's... Ministry is a lot of work, okay? Jesus did so many things in ministry. It says the libraries of the world could not contain the books of all that he did. That's probably true of everything. I'm sure it's true of just one minute of every day of everything the Lord does that we don't see in all kinds of people's lives. The libraries of the world wouldn't fill it. He's always at work. Ministry is a lot of work. And in fact, you know what? Just being a mom is a lot of work. I got four of my six grandkids, and I'm like, I got to get here. At least I go, do you got the kids ready? She's like, you know, I'm like, it gives me respect for the parents, though, because I'm just like trying to balance everything. I'm like, and trying to help her with the kids and everything. She goes, and, and poor little Justice has been thrown up all over the place today. And I'm like, okay, he's going to stay home. And, and we decide, I'm just going to go. She's going to stay home with the kids, you know. Make it easy. Anyway, so thanks for bearing with me. But I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing what Jesus did. But guess what he came to do? He came to set people free. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 16. This is right after his baptism and then being tested by the devil. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as was his custom. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. So there he is, man, about 30 years old. He stands up to read in the synagogue, right? And the book of the prophet, prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. Now, he had to find the place. They didn't have chapter and verse breaks. The Spirit of the Lord, he reads this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. What happened at his baptism? What came upon him? Who came upon him better? Said, in power. The Holy Spirit, amen? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel 
to the poor. By the way, Jesus Christ, we say Jesus Christ, and most people when they hear the term Jesus Christ, they think Christ is his last name, okay? A lot of Christians think that when they're new, too. You know, I follow Jesus Christ, and they think that's his, until they realize Jesus is his name, Yeshua, beautiful Hebrew name. You know, Iesus in Greek, Jesus in English, and I, I was teaching my grandchildren, you know, about his name today a little bit, so I didn't mean to stop here, but it's just interesting, uh, and how to say Yeshua, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> Ariel is like, I love Jesus, Godzillion times, God, or no, she was Godzillion plus Godzillion plus Godzillion, she kept saying that, Godzillion plus Godzillion, I go, Godzillion, I think it's Godzillion, I have to look that up, I'm like, I think it's Godzillion, and, uh, and, uh, and I say, if you want it to be even more impressive, I'd say times instead of plus. And then she's like, plus, and then she finally starts saying times. But we're talking about Jesus' name. And I didn't get so deep as to say what Christ means. I didn't really get into Jesus Christ. Let's talk about Yeshua. But Christ is from Christos, from the Greek, and it means anointed. Messiah is the Hebrew for, or actually the Old Testament word for anointed in the Old Testament is Mashiach. Mashiach. And that's how we say Messiah in the transliteration. And it literally means anointed one. So if, you're the, if you are waiting for the anointed to come as a Jew, it means king to you. He's the king. So when you're speaking of Jesus Christ, you're speaking of Jesus the anointed king. Or Jesus is Jesus a king, you know? So Jesus is the king that they're waiting for. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, you see? He's the anointed of the Holy Spirit. And uh, to, to preach the gospel to the poor, praise God for that, he has sent me to proclaim what? Release. Or liberty, depends on translation, or freedom to the captives. Setting the captives free. What's the name of our campaign this year to reach Simi Valley? Setting the captives free campaign. Amen. I thought this would be a good time to do a message on setting the captives free. Because we have a whole campaign that we're going out to the highways and byways. We're putting, you know, uh, a track out that will be mailed to most of the homes in Simi Valley about being set free in Christ. That will direct them to a video they can watch and so forth. A lot of us will hit the streets in different ways, you know, have all kinds of cool things going. But this is what we're talking about, is people being set free, right? And the scriptures say in Proverbs 24, 11, remember, we talked about it last Sunday in reference to abortion, right? Where the Lord says, hold back those who are staggering to death, right? You know, save those who are being dragged to destruction, right? And that's everybody that doesn't know Jesus. Satan, they're under Satan's power. He's a real entity and He's a fallen angel. There's other fallen angels, and God's allowed them to exist. God could have just wiped out Satan easily, but he allows him and the fallen angels to exist, kind of like a sting operation. He says, I'm going to use the bad guys. I'm going to let them bring as many as will come and follow them. So when the great judgment comes, they'll be judged along with Satan and, and the demonic host. But thank God, God wants all of us to be set free and gives us opportunity. Amen? So it says right here... Uh, He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up and read. But he says, it's interesting, to, to, to release, proclaim release or freedom or liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Now these are vivid pictures because they would see captives, even among their own people, the Jewish people, knew that there were a lot of Jewish men and women who had been taken captive by the Roman Empire. And they were basically paraded and many of them would be crucified. And then in verse 19, what does he say, say? What does he say? To proclaim what? To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. When we think of favor, we think of grace. Amen? 
Noah received favor, right? Thank God he got favor, man. He got in the ark. Praise God for favor, amen. Well, Jesus came to proclaim what? The favorable year of the Lord. But right before that says to what? To set free. To set free those who are what? Oppressed. Who, who are the oppressed? That's everybody. Who are the captives? That's everybody that doesn't know Jesus. That's all of us before we were saved. We're oppressed by demonic spirits. We're oppressed by Satan. We're oppressed by our sin. We were depressed, right? Because we, we didn't, because the deepest longings of our soul could not be filled. Uh, the, the, our hearts, which were deceitful above all things, Bible says, desperately wicked, who can know it? Uh, Jeremiah 7:11 could not be healed. Didn't matter what we tried, what we did, we dry, we drug around this what Paul calls this body of death. Who will set me free, he says, from this body of death, right? And we don't know, you know, when, we, when we, Paul says his body of death, he at the very least is speaking of his just carnal fallen nature and his humanity, you know. But, but uh, some, some commentators believe he could have been referring to the way uh, certain people were killed in those days. And that was if they were guilty of an incredibly heinous sin, or I should say crime against the state, if they murdered someone, for instance, they could, would be tied back to back to the body of that rotting corpse and, be, and they'd become infected and they would start to rot until they died. And Paul, they believe, you know, some commentators, some teachers have said, Paul's using that imagery of just this grotesque, rotting death that Jesus set us free from. I don't know that Jesus, that Paul meant that in, in Romans 7. It's an interesting illustration. I, I, we can't prove that that's what he meant. But guess what? Our own rotting flesh, the, the flesh, you know, basically the outer man decays daily. We're, I've tried to share with you before that we are the zombies, okay? All these zombie movies where people love to watch zombie movies and The Walking Dead and stuff like that, and they're like, and they feel, man, but they don't realize, guess what? We are the walking dead. The Bible says that, you know, for instance, a rebellious woman who's no longer following Christ, and the scriptures say in Timothy, it says she's dead while she's alive, the, the uh, prodigal son, when he came back, he, his father says, my son was what? Dead, but now he's alive. Right? The Bible says before we were saved, we were dead in our sins. Amen? I, got, I didn't, never finished it, but maybe I'll put it out someday, a whole book on how we're the zombies, you know? I use all kinds of different pictures, how the Bible describes us as being like rotting flesh. Let's use a lot of pictures, you know? How our, we stink, you know, and our stench rises to heaven, you know? It's just, and that we're like open sores, you know? That's, but, but think about this. Compared to angels, non-corporal beings, and a, c compared to what Adam and Eve in their perfection look like, guess what we look like? Guess what we are? We're rotting zombies. Isn't that interesting? We really are. Compared to Adam, if you saw me next to Adam, you'd be, oh, what happened, you know? Don't laugh too hard, but I'm just saying, you know? Because <laughs> guess what, man? He came to set us free, man. We were all oppressed. And guess what? We've been saved. And now guess what? The inner person, the inner man, has come alive in Christ. Amen? In the outer man, it says it's decaying day after day. Our old man still needs to be resurrected. But the inner man has been renewed. It's renewed day by day. Isn't that glorious truth? And as you get older and older, you appreciate that more and more. You also appreciate those resurrection passages. Praise the Lord. Can't wait till that happens, you know? So it's interesting. Uh, now, what's really crazy about verse, and I think this is really cool. What's really crazy about verse 19, he says, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's why Jesus came, man, at that time in history. 
It says, at the proper time, the Son of God was revealed in Galatians. It was the perfect time. It's prophesied in Daniel chapter 9, the very time that he would come uh, and that he'd be crucified before the temple was destroyed, which is exactly what happened. When you witness the Jews, you can share with them, hey, if you got the right, if you don't think Jesus was the Messiah, who was it? Because it says the Messiah will be cut off. And then it says the temple will be destroyed in Romans in, in Daniel 9. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So whoever the Messiah was, he was cut off before that. Who was that? If it wasn't Jesus. Uh, 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 I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Because it was Jesus. Amen. And so Jesus came at the right time. Roman roads had connected much of the, uh, the, the, the civilized world in that area. Most people were speaking, a lot of people were speaking Greek. So the scripture could be written in a common language. Uh, it was just perfect timing. But he came to proclaim the favor of the year of the Lord. What's interesting about this verse as well is that he stopped right in the middle of a verse that he was quoting. Because remember, he's quoting from where? What prophet is he quoting? Isaiah. In Isaiah 61, you know what it says right after that? I'll read what Jesus says. Jesus says to proclaim the favor of the Lord in verse 19. But in Isaiah 61 too, it says this, to proclaim the favorable, favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. He stops right before, right before the word and and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, why do you suppose he stopped right before the next clause? And some of you, you have, some of you have a comma right there. It's not put there by God, but they don't use commas in Greek and Hebrew. But, and to proclaim, what? And, and, and the day of vengeance of our God. It's really talking about proclaiming two things. Because, guess what? There's two comings, Amen. And this was his first coming, the day of grace, the favorable year of the Lord. He's giving people the opportunity to be saved, amen? He comes as a lamb to give his life for our sins, amen, on the cross. The second time, he comes as a lion of the tribe of Judah, amen? He comes with his angels and mighty, his mighty angels in flaming fire to take vengeance, says, on those who dwell on the earth that disobey the gospel of Jesus Christ, amen? That don't know God and don't obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. So right now, I love that he stopped before the next little phrase there, uh, because that his first coming, he came to bring salvation. Now, it's interesting because if you look at verse 20, it says, and he closed the book. So he closes the book right there dramatically. He's, and a lot of them are so familiar with the passage. Boom, he just closes the scroll. It wouldn't be look like this. It'd be a scroll, right? So he just closes the scroll. And it's interesting. It says, he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. So they're all looking at him. Because he's saying the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he's come to set the captives free. He's come to give sight to the blind. To bring salvation to the poor, right? To heal, set free those who, all those who are oppressed. And they fixed their eyes on him. And he began to say to them, Today, the script, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's gnarly, man. They're all looking at him. What are you saying? Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then he just goes and does all these rattles. Heals the blind, you know. News spread about him like wildfire. Because there's blind people walking around that sea. There's dead people that are walking around that were once dead, you know. And he's setting people free. Now, 
the main way he sets people free, and there's four different ways he sets us free, which I want to discuss each pretty briefly, because when you, you see what this is, hopefully it'll cause your heart to rejoice. But look at John chapter 8, verse 34. John chapter 8, verse 34. Now Jesus is speaking to Jewish leaders, to Jews who have a racket going, who don't want or are jealous that he's receiving such a huge following and that people are turning to him. And he's been dealing with the corruption with regard to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Herodians, Jewish leaders who are... Uh, he wants to save them. He says to them, to these Jewish leaders, I'm saying these things in John 5, 34 through 40. I'm saying these things that you may be saved, but you're unwilling to come to me that you may have life. You know, and uh, they're unwilling to come to him. You know, he talked about you abided in John the Baptist's light for a little while when you saw fit. But it's, he testified of me, but he says, but it's the word of God that testifies me. And you, you search the scriptures diligently, he says in John 5, because you think in them you have eternal life, but it's these that testify of me. He even says things like in John 10 and John 14, if you don't believe my words, believe my miracles. He's pleading with them to open their eyes. He says in John 12, to walk in the light while you have the light. The time will come when the light won't be in, it'll be night, and it'll be too late. Walk in the light while you have the light so you can become children of light. He's pleading with them to know him to be set free. He wants to set us free. But in John 8, verse 34, he says something interesting. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is what? The slave of sin. So it's interesting. When you sin, you become enslaved to sin. He says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. He's the son of God. So if the Son makes you free, you will be what? Free. I love verse 36. If you're like looking for verses to memorize, that's a good one. John 8, 36. The Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. John 8, 31 is really good too. You know, if you continue in my word, you will truly be my disciples. Amen? Because a lot of people today claim to be just followers of Christ, or I, I believe in Jesus, but they don't continue in his word. But he encourages us to make sure we press on in his word. Amen? We press on in Jesus. So he says to them, I, he says, so this, if the Son makes you free, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And I love the fact that he emphasizes being set free here, right? You'll be free indeed, you know? Uh, in the Greek, it's emphasized just like the English. You'll be free indeed because his, the freedom he offers us is deep, deeper than they understood. It's multifaceted. It's not just one-dimensional, and we'll talk about that. Verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. Well, now he's saying something because he knows what they're thinking. He says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has what? No place in you. Because they were saying, we have Abraham as our father, you know. Well, Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. But being a descendant of Abraham does not save you. Remember at John the Baptist, what he said? Remember what John the Baptist said to the religious leaders when they came down to watch the baptism? Because all these people were coming out to be baptized by the, John, John the Baptist. Of course, John the Baptist baptized Jesus and you know, said, I'm not worthy to even you know, latch his sandals. You know? But 
he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But when the leaders were, the Pharisees and so forth, he says to them, Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, you brood of vipers? Because they weren't there to get right with God. His baptism is called a baptism of repentance. Change of heart, change of mind. That's not why they were there. You know, they're trying to find something on him. And he said, you know, who, who warned you to flee, you know, the wrath of God, you know? He said, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. I mean, you have to really be serious about following him. So they were not serious. And then he said something interesting. He said to them, you know, God is, re this is interesting because, you know, remember when Jesus, when on Palm Sunday, and they were rebuking Jesus, you know, for shut, tell, your, tell your disciples to, you know, be quiet because I'll praise all these people. are just praising him. And he said, if they don't praise me, what do you say? The rocks will what? Cry out. But he said a very interesting thing in regard to uh, when he's talking to these Jewish leaders. He says, God is able to rise up children from the very stones, right? And so, in other words, he, said, he says, don't say we have Abraham as our father. He said that. Don't say you have Abraham as your father. God's able to rise up children from these very rocks. Your physical descendants, he doesn't count for anything if you're not putting your trust in the Lord. That's why I try to encourage young people in the fellowship, you know. Because you go, because you have parents that are Christians, do not make you, it doesn't make you a Christian. Amen? You have to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes, you know, we'll talk about how, hey, God doesn't have grandchildren. Okay, he has children. You have to make sure you're born again. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God. It's important for you as a parent, as a parent to emphasize to your children the, the need to be born again. Make sure that they have truly turned to Christ and are putting their faith in him. That's so important when you have young people. And the enemy is constantly crying out to them through social media, through popular entertainment. You've got to guard their little, help them guard their little hearts. Amen? So it's interesting here. He's emphasizing that they need to be set free. But look at what happens here. I know, verse 37, that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. That's heavy, man. Now, it's interesting because in verse 44, he says, you are of your father who? You are of your father the devil. It's important to understand that the, that the Bible doesn't teach the brotherhood of man that we're all one, everybody's just going to go into heaven, you know, that we're all children of God. The Bible says you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Now, we've been set free from four things as believers. These are four things, man, that if you're not set free from them, you're just doomed. You might as well realize that you're, it's like being on a grease pole to hell, you know, without Jesus. And one of those things for sure is sin, okay? This Greek word for sin, there's different Greek words for sin. We don't have time to really explore each of these because if we spend time on any one of these too long, I won't get to the other three. But the main Greek, one of the main Greek words, well, you know, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, right? You know, if you look at Luke or you look at Matthew chapter 6, when you look at that prayer, the prayer the Lord gave his disciples to pray, he uses two different Greek words. One time he says, forgive us our debts. Sin is the word debt as we forgive our debtors because we're in debt to God. The other time it's used, it's harmatia. Harmatia is the, a word that means to, to, to miss the goal, to miss the mark. 
It's used in the shooting of arrows in those times for those who would miss their, their target. And that fits good with Romans 6.23, or Romans 3.23. All have sinned and what? Fallen short of God's glory. We all fall short of the target of righteousness. So on one hand, we, don't, we commit sin against God, and therefore he, being righteous, owes us wrath, judgment, because he's a holy God. But we also commit sin in the way where uh, we don't do what God's called us to do. And we're in debt for both sins because we owe God righteousness in both cases. The Bible speaks of sins of commission and sins of omission. A sin of commission is when you go against something God said not to do, and you do it. God says, don't, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. There's a lot of thou shalt not, and you do it anyway. Don't use the Lord's name in vain, you know. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. You know, all these different things. Don't put anything before him. And if you do that, that's a sin of commission. You've committed a sin. A sin of omission is where you omit and you don't do something God's told you to do. Like he says, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. And if you say, oh, I don't need to be in fellowship with other Christians. Well, you're safe because you're here today, right? You know, but that would be a sin of omission. When the Bible says to, you know, love your brother, but you refuse to love your brother. That's sin of omission. Because in James, he says, those who know to do what's right and don't do it, he says to them, that is sin. That's speaking of omission. So we're in debt to God. But Jesus came to set us free, right, from sin. And I use that example a lot. You hear me say it all the time. But when he, used, when he cried out on the cross, one of his seven sayings, remember, to tell us die, that means what? Paid in full. When Jesus died on the cross, he died taking the punishment you and I deserve because there's two debts going on here, guys. Think about this. There's our debt to God, meaning righteousness that we didn't give him every time we sinned. Thousands of times you've sinned throughout your life. Things you don't even recognize as sin, okay, all of us, uh, in whatever way throughout your entire life, there's a lot of sin. The psalmist said, my sins outnumber the hair on my head. They're like the hair on my head, okay? And it's interesting because, so there's righteousness we owe him that we could never pay back. Because when I do righteous things, I can't pay back for things I didn't do I, because I'm supposed to do these righteous things. That's already expected of me. But, so, but when Christ died on the cross, guess what? There's another debt being paid. Because God is perfectly holy, perfectly just, and perfectly righteous, he judges the wicked. He owes us wrath. And on the cross, it's so beautiful. Because it's there, you know, that justice and grace meet. And it's amazing because when Jesus dies and pours out his blood, he has perfect righteousness. So he pays the debt of righteousness that we owe. And the, and the wrath that God, that we deserve, that God owes us, he exhausts it in Jesus. Amen? Jesus becomes the object of his wrath in our place. And if we accept what Christ has done for us, we're no longer abiding as children of wrath. Amen? So it's really amazing. Look at Romans chapter 6. Some of the passages uh, that mention being set free from sin. Some of these are, you know, you might want to memorize sometimes. They're really beautiful. But uh, Romans 6, verse 4. It says in verse 4, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might what? 
walk in newness of life. Right? So we've, we've been set free from that old man. In fact, look at Romans chapter 7, verse 6. But now it says we have been what? Released. Some translations are set free. This means the same thing. From the law. Having died to that by which we were what? Bound. So, that by, so we can what? Serve in newness of the spirit. And not in oldness of the letter. That's awesome, huh? So we've been set free from the law. The Old Testament law. We're no longer under that law. That law condemned us. Amen. The law that we were under, uh, well, wasn't the Jews under that? Well, God's law is written on our hearts. And God's law condemned each and every one of us. And it's interesting, Paul specifically mentions being set free from that law. But he mentions in Romans chapter 7 later, he talks about how there's this law at work in him called the law of sin and death. We were all under the law of sin and death, man. We couldn't beat it on our own. He's trying to fight against it. The good that I want to do, I couldn't do. And, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the good I want to do, I didn't do. And the bad I didn't want to do, I ended up doing. Who will set me free? And Jesus sets him free from that cycle of trying to keep the law of Moses. Right? Now, it's interesting because look at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no what? No condemnation. No, isn't that beautiful? No condemnation. Say that with me. No condemnation. Thank you, Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you what? Free from the law of sin and of death. I love that. We've been set free from the law of sin and of death. So there's two things we're set free from, we already know. Okay? We're set free from the law of sin and the law of death. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son into the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4, so that we what? So that the requirement of what? The law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now that's interesting. What he did was not only set us free from the law of sin and the law of death, Right? But now the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us who don't walk according to the old nature, but walk according to the Spirit. What's the righteousness of the law? It's those aspects of the law that never change. We're not condemned by the law because we've been set free by Christ's grace, but the law of Christ is the righteousness of the law. There was so much to the law. There was all the ceremonial laws, right? The civil laws. In the new covenant, which we are under, which is called the law of Christ, there's not all those civil laws, there's not all those ceremonial laws. The Sabbath and all those feast days and stuff, circumcision, uh, not eating certain foods and stuff, that was all a picture of the new covenant of what we have in Christ. Amen? So we're set free from that law. We're not under the Old Testament at all, but what we are under is the new covenant law. We're under the law of, it's called the royal law as well in James. It's called the law of Christ in Galatians chapter 6 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're under the law of Christ, which is the New Testament, and we fulfill the law of Christ as we walk in the Spirit. Amen? And I think this is beautiful. I also think it's important that we understand this. Let's read verse 4 again. So that the righteous, or the King James has righteousness, I believe. That's how I had that memorized. But it means the same thing, the requirement of the law, which is the righteousness of the law. So that the requirement of the law 
the requirement of the law might be what? Fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now we have the power of the Spirit to live a righteous life before God. And even though we live, a right, we live righteous lives in Christ now, that doesn't merit us or earn us salvation. We've been set free because of what he did on the cross. But now we have the power of the Spirit to live the lives that he's called us to live. Where we're not stealing from people, right? We're not walking around lying and, and cheating on our wives or husbands if you're married. Anything. You ought not be. You ought to be walking in righteousness. But that brings up another question. Guess what? It's important. Is being set free, a lot of Christians misunderstand that and they think, oh, I'm set free from sin, death, and all that because of what Jesus did on the cross. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free to do whatever I want. And sin like hell now. That's what a lot of people are doing right now. They misunderstand freedom. But what are we reading in verse 4? Freedom is what? We're set free to fulfill the requirement of the law. In fact, go back up to 7 verse 6. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we, we what? So that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. So we haven't been free to run amok and do evil. We've been, we've been set free to serve the Lord and, do what, and live the way we've been created to live. Amen? That's important that we get that. In fact, uh, look at Romans chapter 6, verse 18. Let's go back there real quick. Romans 6, 18. Look what he says. And having been freed from sin, you what? Verse 18, Romans 6, 18. And having been made free from sin, you have become what? Slaves of righteousness. Are you with me? Because basically, you know, Satan has a field day with, you know, all these lost people in, in power and the celebrities preaching the gospel of do what thou wilt, right? Well, we're set free in the church, but Satan wants to bring do what thou wilt into the church. But how he can't, I mean, how's he going to do that? People are going to follow Satan and do what they will. They're not gonna, no, he's not going to be able to do it that way. He has to put a spin on the gospel and say, hey, guess what? You're saved by grace. You've been set free. Guess what? You're free to do whatever you want. For after all, there's no condemnation. And people quote that, Romans 8, 1. They quote, they quote Romans 8, 1. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But they don't go on to read where those who are truly saved now fulfill the righteousness of the law. They ignore chapter 7, verse 6, where we've been saved, we've been set free, what? To serve him, amen? They, they ignore Romans 6, 18. We've been set free from, what? Sin, but to become, what? Slaves of righteousness. How is that freedom? That's total freedom because that's who we're created to be. Did you see that? Did anybody see the videotape of the tallest roller coaster in the world and how there's a huge crack? Anybody see that? Yeah, that's, that's crazy. I'm like looking at that crack and I saw the pictures of it. I'm like, wow, that's gnarly. They had to shut down the park for a while and, or that roller coaster and they shut down the whole park. Highest, and some, I think it was a dad with his daughters walking. He's like, that looks like it's cracked, right? And it's a whole crack through the whole top part where you go around one of the sharp curves. And then I thought, that's pretty gnarly. Then I, then I saw a video of it, and literally when the roller coaster goes over that area, you see this whole crack goes, and you're like, whoa. <laughs> Can you imagine being on it? 
and spotting that and seeing it go like this, like, I don't think that's supposed to be there. <laughs> you're talking about already having a hard time with roller coasters. You're on the tallest one in the world, and you see that, and you're coming up next for that turn, or I don't know if you can see it from wherever you're at, but I'm like, that's pretty crazy. But you know what? That roller coaster became bound. It's broken. It doesn't work, right? And people weren't free to go on the roller coaster anymore. But guess what? When they fixed the roller coaster, a lot of people still be hesitant, right? Should I go on it? I don't know. But guess what? When that roller coaster, it just by way of analogy, is set free to work again, and they, they say, oh, guess what? You're, you're free to go to the amusement park and ride the roller coaster. Does that mean you can take one of the cars off the roller coaster and take it home with you? No. Or try to turn it into some kind of weird machine? No. Or if the roller coaster was personal, right? Does its freedom mean it could just go like, jump like a jackrabbit on people and smash them throughout the park? No. Why? Because the roller coaster was created to do a certain thing, right? And guess what? You start taking, by the way, that roller coaster wouldn't be much fun anymore, would it? God sets you free to live the blessed life that you were created to live in the first place. Amen? Whenever we go rogue and go against God's will, that's not true freedom. That ends up being what again? Slavery all over again. Because it's sin. So if I say, oh, I'm set free from sin, praise the Lord. And I'm like, oh, you know what? You know what? I'm just going to take the rest of my life off and just live for myself and my flesh and just get drunk and get hammered on different drugs and just live for myself and fulfill my, all my fleshly desires. Would that be freedom? No, I'd be in bondage to sin all over again. That's not true freedom. In fact, it's interesting because uh, you're familiar with Jude in verses 3 and 4 where he warns earnestly, contend for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints, for certain persons who have crept in, false teachers, have crept in unnoticed, false teachers who he said do this, who turn the grace of our God into what? A license for immorality. So it's already here, guys. In fact, it didn't, it's not a new false teaching that's entered in just in this last 50 years. Even in the first century, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, same mom, different father, ultimately, he's warning that they've crept in unnoticed, turned the grace of God into a license for immorality. You know what warning he gives right after that? He talks about the Jews who were delivered from Egypt. They were set free. But later he destroyed those who didn't believe. Woo. The angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode is kept under chains of eternal darkness to be judged for the judgment of the great day. Whoa. And Sodom and Gomorrah and cities around them just like these went after strange flesh and were destroyed with fire as an example. It's an example for us. He warns, don't let grace be turned into a license for immorality. In fact, our, our, our name of our fellowship is Blessed Hope Chapel. I think it's a beautiful name because the blessed hope is Christ's second coming. That's, he's our hope, amen? The Bible says, he that has this hope of Christ's second coming, 1 John 3, 3, purifies himself even as he is pure. We look forward to Christ's second coming, amen? And we seek to purify ourselves as he is pure by staying under the blood, amen? And walking in righteousness and the newness of the Spirit. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, the blessed hope. But you know when he talks about the blessed hope? If you read that, verses 13 and 14, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, for us to redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people zealous for good deeds. Amen? 
He saved us so we'd be zealous and excited about doing good. Good deeds for the Lord. Amen. Romans 2, 8, 9 is so beautiful. By grace we're saved through faith that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works as anyone should boast. And everybody's like, pray, praise God. We're set free by grace. It's not by our own doing. It's by his. And we ought to be praising him every day for that. Amen. But we also not, ought not remember, forget verse 10. We are his workmanship, it goes on to say. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. He saved us to make us his children again, right? And so we can serve him as his children. He does the heavy lifting. But hey, when I was at my house, when my kids were in my house, and now my grandkids, Lisa and I do the heavy lifting. But hey, help us clean up, you know? Try to enlist the kids, you know? I was always telling Lisa, Lisa, we got to enlist the kids to help us when we're doing these things, you know? Clean it up. And she, she did a good job with that in time. But uh, guess what? We're his fellow workers. Paul said we're his fellow workers. Amen? And it's important that we get this, that we understand that we've been set free to serve. And, and to me, that you should be excited about that because to me, there's nothing greater than serving the Lord. Jesus is better to give than it is to receive. Amen? And I'm telling you right now, that's where the joy is at because you're walking in the Spirit when you're serving the Lord. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness, faithfulness, meekness, amen, self-control. Against such there is no law. So serve Jesus. If you get focused on yourself, if you're serving Him, but you're kind of just focused on yourself, woe is me, well, then you're not going to have joy. But if you're like, I want to serve you because of who you are, and you set me free, then there's, there's going to be joy, amen? I have no greater joy, honestly, John says it in 1 John, I have no greater joy than this to see my children walk in the truth. Well, guess what? As, as a brother in Christ, not even as a pastor, as a brother in Christ, long before I was a pastor, I get so much joy out of serving the Lord. In fact, I was just talking to someone recently, you know, and we were talking about how sometimes people say, and it just came up, and people say this to me, they don't know me very good if they say this to me until they get to know me. Oh, are you not working right now? I'm like, what? You know? Oh, I don't know if you want to talk about the Bible right now. Huh? What? I don't want to bug you with Bible questions. What? Do you know, do you know me? You know? <laughs> Jamie's got this big laugh going. So is Aileen. Everybody's known me for that. That's, I just want to talk about Jesus all the time. In fact, when I first started talking about Lisa, or seeing Lisa, she said to me, she goes, and she was doing great. She's on fire, excited about Jesus. I gave her that, you know, talk. You know, I think maybe the talk was a little bit afterwards, but if you're going to marry me, you're going to, you know, have to be in a mission field, perhaps in a tent. But she got a secular job. And uh, before she was my church secretary, right, she gets a job, and it was at a place where she had used to work years ago. Uh, or not work, used to party and stuff. And her heart was in the right place and everything. And she, and she was, I was seeing her, like, I think she, we both came and went to my, we're at my folks' house, and, and uh, she's like, do you always have to talk about the Lord? And I said, and that's not the Lisa you know, okay? She was young in faith, and she never ever said anything like that before or after that. And I said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Yeah. Not that that didn't cross my mind, but I said, hey, baby, I go, look, Jesus is my life. He's my life. And I don't, I talk about other things, you know. If you know me, I'll talk about, you know, football even or whatever, you know. But it's mostly Jesus, 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 because that's, he's my life. And I said, hey, baby, I go, that's me. 
And if we're going to go forward as a relationship and get married sometime in the future, which we're talking about, that's who I am. I'm, never, I'm not going to change that. You know what she did? She went and got her, she went and called, the, we didn't have cell back then. She went and got on the phone. She called her new employer and quit, you know, her job. I knew she was all in, you know. She just had this 30-second little, she probably wanted to talk about, don't you want to talk about, it was probably innocent, you know, do you, have to talk, do you want to talk about my, my work or whatever? I'm like, it's always going to be Jesus first, you know. I pledge my head to heaven for the gospel of the king. Amen. As Keith Green sings in that song, I pledge my head to heaven. I'd rather be caught dead, he's singing to his wife, than loving you more than my Lord. Jesus has to be first, guys. He said, if you love parents or children, or spouse, whoever, any one more than me, you're not worthy of me to be my disciple. Christ needs to be first, and we need to recognize that we have been redeemed to serve him, amen, and to live for him, amen. So there's that freedom from sin, and I know we need to get back into Timothy, right? Because, but this is a good topical message to really just basics, back to basics. We've been set free from sin, but I need to cover a few more things. Because what do I have left, like six or seven minutes, Josh? I got 10 minutes? Oh, Josh, you're giving me 10? You're going to get me in trouble. What's it? We, oh, wait. Yeah, 8.30. It's uh, 11.15 on Sundays. So I get a little extra time. I got 10 more minutes. Good. Okay, so it's interesting. We've been set free from sin, but we've been set free to serve him. In fact, in verse 18, did you look at Romans 6.18? Right? Romans 6.18, it goes on to say we've been set free. I've looked at, we've looked at a couple verses like that. But we've been set free to serve him. Amen? Slaves of righteousness, he says. And we're also warned, like in 1 Peter 2.16. Listen to this. Peter warns us. We're supposed to serve him, it says, as free... We're as free, we're free from the blood of Christ, right? But he says, but not using your liberty or your freedom for a cloak of maliciousness or wickedness, but as, but as the servants of God. There's again. I've shown you three places where it says we're set free, but we're, not, but we're supposed to be, understand we've been set free to serve God, not to live a life of sin. And by the way, even Galatians or even uh, Titus that we're just looking at that passage, when I pointed up there, you know what it says right before that? It says in verse 11, it says, The grace of God has appeared unto all men, right? That the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, instructing us, not to say instructing us that since we're free, we can do whatever we want, instructing us to live godly lives soberly and righteously in this present world. Amen? God's grace doesn't say we're set free to do whatever we want. We're set free to be the children of God that we're created to be and serve Him. Amen? And when that roller coaster is set free again, and they fixed that tallest roller coaster in the world, I don't know if they fixed it yet, but it's set free now to do what it was created to do. If it goes off its tracks, ooh, if it was conscious, right? Oh, there's a big crack in. I'm set free from this track. I can't wait. Well, then it's just going to be destroyed. That's what happens to us. So we've been set free. And now Peter says, as free, but not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. I love that, man. But isn't that exactly what people do? They use the freedom that they have been set free with in Christ as a cloak to maliciousness. Now they can go commit adultery. They can, you know, uh, rip people off. They can be angry and unforgiving. Because after all, I'm set free by Jesus. No, man. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, stand fast 
Stand fast. It's a Greek, in the Greek, it's a present tense imperative. It means keep standing. It's a command. Keep. It's imperative. Keep on standing fast in the freedom with Christ has set you free. And don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Then he says in 5.13, he says, do not use the freedom that you have now as a excuse to walk in the flesh. That's what he says. And I'm telling you right now, not, foul, not, not tens, scores, hundreds. There's thousands and tens of thousands of, of churches where the, ministry, the, the message of freedom is twisted into, meaning you're saved. Once you're saved, you're always saved no matter what you do. You've been set free. Just however you live, you're still free. In Christ, you could never lose that freedom. But the scriptures tell us that after a dog has been you know, puked, vomited, that scripture came to my mind because justice was throwing up a lot today. You know, poor guy. Make my heart so sad. He had a good nap, you know, for maybe three hours. So hopefully he's feeling a lot better. I think he has what Chad had last week. Hopefully, like, Lord, please have mercy on me, you know. <laughs> but I was talking, thinking of that verse of the dog going back to its vomit. The pig after it's being washed. I use that as a devotion for my grandkids today because I had a really powerful picture of that. And by the way, as I'm giving them a devotion, you know, Justice wakes up. or No, he was actually awake at that point. He went to the bathroom. He came back. He's looking at me. He's like, throwing up again. I was like, poor guy. And I was teaching on that from him puking earlier. I'm like, now, you know, sin, that's a picture of going back to sin. That's not what we're called to do, amen? We've been set free. We're supposed to abide in the freedom. Jesus says, you are my disciples. If you continue my word, you'll be my disciples indeed, right? We mentioned that earlier, John 8, 31. We've been set free from sin. We've been set free also, and I'm going to hit these briefly, these next three quickly, because sin is the main thing that you know, we want to emphasize, but we've also been set free from Satan. When the Apostle Paul, Jesus, in blinding light, appears to him on the road to Damascus, and Paul falls down, and he's blinded for three days, Jesus instructs him that he has chosen him to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So we've been set free also from Satan's power. Okay, amen? Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul writes to the church of Colossae. He says, he, meaning Jesus, has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Wow. I love that, man. So we've been set free from the enemy's power. And since I was on roller coasters, you know, not literally today, but thinking about them, I told the kids, I said, let's say four kids, because I have four of them today. We've got them for the next few days. So I said, think of four kids. I gave them all different names, so it's different than these my, my four grandchildren. I said, think of they're all, they're all going to this, the greatest place on earth. It's an amusement park with the biggest, the best, you know, and I try to describe kind of what, just off the top of my head, the best place they'd want to go. And they're going there, and there's free cotton candy everywhere that's growing on trees. And I have to eat like candy sugar, so I'm like, has no sugar in it, but tastes better than regular cotton candy, you know? And uh, <laughs> he's, he's getting big eyes, you know? And you know, flowers that sing and talk when you're walking by them and all these cool things. And they're getting all big eye, like, wow, that sounds like the best place ever. I'm like, yeah, wouldn't that be awesome? But guess what? They're all dressed in white, and they can't get dirty before they go. But then their parents 
have to stop off to grab something to eat because it's a long, somebody has to go to the bathroom. I think it was Penelope had to pee. So Penelope has to pee, and then they stop over there. They're eating, and she says, stay here. But guess what? The kids, I'm not going to go into all the details, but you know, some of them go out back, and they go and play in the mud, and they're all messy, and they can't go now. Now the parents have to turn around. And now the parents turn around because you can't get in. Because they're all excited about getting into that park. And they're, they're, I, I can see they're like wanting more descriptions of the park when they get there and the fun they're going to have. But they have to do a U-turn. They can't get in. And all of a sudden they were like all sad. They were like feeling empathy, some empathy for these kids. But then I mentioned there's nothing. To, they can't clean those robes. Or those clothes are so dirty. because there's mud all over them and stuff. And there was throw up on them too because that story went a little deeper, right? <laughs> At least, like, do you have to get that gross? I'm like, hey, sin's ugly, baby. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and they're just like, but then guess what? They, they found a special detergent. And that detergent took everything out. And the next year came around, they were able to go. So then it got positive again. They're all excited again. You know? And I said, you know, what's that place a picture of? Heaven. What's the special detergent? Pause for five, seven seconds. Then Eli goes, the blood. I go, that's right, the blood of Christ. That's the only way we can be clean, right? And in Revelation chapter 22, verse 14 and 15, nothing unclean will enter in the city, but only those who've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Amen? And Revelation 1.6, it says that Jesus released us, right? Released us from sin, right? He set us free from sin. And it's a beautiful passage because of his love, because of his great love for us. It says he set us free from sin. So we've been set free from sin. We've been set free from Satan. We've been set free from the law. Those are three things, really five things we've been set free from, I can think of just off the top of my head, because also we've been set free from death. Amen. Remember Jesus, when John, the, the apostle John falls before him because he appears to him in the book of Revelation, chapter one, and he's blind, and he's just, he's not literally blinded, but he falls down like a dead man. Jesus puts his right hand on him, says, fear not, I am the first and last, I am he that liveth and was dead, right? And I have the keys of what? Two of the other things we're set free from, Hades, and death. We've been set free from sin. We've been set free from the power of Satan. We've been set free from the law that condemns us. We've been set free from what else? Hades and death. We will be resurrected now. Amen. Absolutely, the body's present from the Lord. And we've been set free not only from that, but we've been set free from Hades. Remember when Jesus died on the cross? What did he do? Was he in heaven right after he died on the cross? No. no where did he go? He went into Hades, amen? He set the captives free. Not the wicked who were unrepentant, but the, those who died in, with faith in God before they could ascend into the heavens. Because he said, no one yet has ascended the Father, only he had. But re, Ephesians chapter 4, he set captivity captive in his train after he descended the lower, lower parts of the earth, amen? And we've talked about that even recently, so I'm not going to get into that, and I don't need to spend a lot of time on that. But I just want to encourage you there's no, no detergent on this earth that will set you free. When I, I went to Corona Prison a few times with Lisa to visit, uh, Sadie, she was called. And that was the name of the, a, a gal that was convicted of, was that? Susan Atkins, yeah. Susan Atkins, she was convicted of nine of the murders for Charles Manson. And I went there and was able to interview her three times. And we, I talked about that interview in our 10-hour version of They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll. We show her coming out of a casket when she belonged to the Church of Satan. Okay, She did, belonged to the Church of Satan when she was young. And, and she claimed to have become a Christian when she went to prison. And she said that she was taking a shower 
and she was scrubbing herself because she realized she was caught up in all the drugs and everything else. I think she was like 18, 19 when she was with Anton LaVey in the Church of Satan in Frisco. Charles Manson was also involved in Crowley and all that stuff, but went to an OTO, Crowley and Lodge, before all the murders and stuff. A lot of people don't recognize all these ties. But when we were visiting her, she told Lisa, my wife was with me, she said, I scrubbed myself till I was red and bloody, you know, because I couldn't, because I realized how evil I was. And I realized I couldn't be cleansed. I couldn't cleanse it away from me, myself. And she said, and then Christ spoke to her and said, that soap will never take away your sins, but my blood will take away your sins. Did Jesus die for her in her sins? Absolutely. And she claimed to profess faith in Christ at that moment and get saved. And we only knew her from those interviews, but she seemed like she loved the Lord. And I'm like, wow, it doesn't matter who you are. He can save you. Amen. But man, we've been set free for the law. Are you glad you don't have to keep all 16, 613 of those laws if you're Jewish, right? You've been set free by Jesus. We've been set free from sin, right? We've been set free from Satan. We've been set free from death. We've been set free from spending for eternity in the lake of fire. Amen. That deserves more than fireworks. Amen. Let's all stand. That deserves our eternal praise to God. Amen.